This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 44. This is Writing Excuses. Realism versus rule of cool. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And you're very cool. Well, thank you. Um, I like to think I'm realistic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not. I mean, carry on. (laughs) I've been wanting to do this podcast ever since I created this outline. This was my favorite one uh, in the outline because I love talking about this topic. Realism versus rule of cool. The simple question of where do you decide to throw out what would really happen to do something more awesome? Like, have giant crabs say? Yes, like, have giant crabs say. <laughs> Just as an example. Mm-hmm. Pull that out of nowhere. I was at a convention where we had a discussion about this, and one of the things that came up was the use of uh, Chinese profanity in Firefly. And there was a linguist on the panel who said, I hate this because they are speaking the Chinese tonally, and they're speaking everything else the way Westerners speak it. And as a linguist, I know that those two things would drift together. I just can't buy it. And my response was, you're wrong. (laughs) Because all the rest of us loved it because of how cool it was. And if we'd done it right, what we would have heard is people mocking Chinese. And so thank you for Mm -hmm. not being realistic, Firefly. Although I will just... Put a put a note in there that using that as an example is tricky because there's also a lot of people who are unhappy with it because of the amount of cultural appropriation and the dearth of people who are actually Chinese on Firefly. Who appear in the series. Yeah. Yep. Um, my, my favorite story about Rule of Cool was a world fantasy panel years and years ago that was talking about action and they got into the concept of fencing and a woman in the audience stood up and said um, – I am a fencer. I fence for my college team. There is not a single fencer I've ever met who thinks that the fencing in The Princess Bride is accurate. But there's not a single fencer I've ever met who didn't get into it because of the fencing in The Princess Bride. And that kind of sums it up for me, that it can be wrong and still be awesome at the same time if you do it right. Yeah. Um, uh, Mary brought up, Mary Robinette brought up that I... uh, I very much like this concept. <laughs> um, in fact, we talk a lot about world building, you know, how we naturally evolve our stories out of our research and things like this. And this does happen, but really that's not how it happens for me. Most of the time I start with the cool thing that I want to have in my books and I work backward trying to find every way I can to justify making it feel real enough for you as the reader so that you can suspend your disbelief and just enjoy the story being awesome. Speaking on behalf of Western civilization, we are glad that you are a writer and not a defense attorney. (laughs) Yeah, well, I feel like defense attorneys must work the same way. So, um, but yes, like giant crabs, um, uh, I start with, I want giant crabs, not with, I have this world where maybe I could have giant crabs. I start with giant crabs and say, how can I make a setting in a world building where the square cube law doesn't apply to these creatures because of the magic system? I start with, I want to write knights in power armor, right? Fantasy knights in magical power armor. 
um, with giant cool swords. What can I come up with to justify the fact that these exist in my story? Um, let me ask you this. Uh, we've, let's, let's drill on a few of these areas. One of them is uh, fight scenes. Um, uh, when you write fight scenes in your stories, how much effort are you taking to be real? When are you taking effort to be real? And when are you ignoring that and why? So here's an interesting example of it. Uh, there's, uh, I, I don't enjoy writing fight scenes. Like I really, I discovered this because Brandon and I were working on a project together and he's like, really cool fight scene goes here. And I'm like, I hate you, Brandon. <laughs> so I went to someone who is in the military and I said, and, and a writer, and I said, can you just bullet point this for me? And he bullet pointed the fight scene for me, step by step through exactly what would happen. And I'm like, okay. And so I wrote it and I put in all of the character stuff that went around it and I handed it to Brandon. He's like, this is not nearly as cool as this other scene. And the other scene, I had just kind of seat of my pants to the way through and was like, maybe this thing happens and uh, they're (laughs) rolling and there's magic dust, smoky here thing and sparkle and then fighting more. And I mean, that is more or less a transcript of it. And that is now sparkle. my favorite fight scene. <laughs> sparkle and then fighting more. Fighty more. Oh, and then fighty more. Yeah, okay. you gotta um, get it right or yeah. the power doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the point is that that one of them was very realistic and dull. And the other was I just went rule of cool. And I'm like, there is like no, there's no specificity inside I've put in like one or two specific details in order to have the you know the, the sparkly magic stuff happening but man my attempt at realism just bombed because it was it was dull yeah, yeah. I yeah you're like <laughs> the, it, it, the <laughs> revision <laughs> works really well what did you do to revise those scenes to make them end up really working um so uh Honestly, I looked at the parts that you were like, neat. Um, And then also, the other thing that I did with that scene was that I looked really at the stuff that I was excited about. Um, I was very excited about, uh, there's a tent um, that is a self-erecting tent that she throws Mm -hmm. at someone. And I was super excited about that. Uh, So I was like, I want to keep that and then revised the scene so that I was basically cutting a lot of the other stuff. It was mostly just a lot of cutting the interstitial stuff right. and moving from uh, set piece to set piece um, and keeping my, my... Like a Jackie Chan movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Jackie Chan's an interesting example because one of the things that he talks about is that you establish geography first and what the pieces are. And then when you're actually in the fight, you don't have to do it. And I think that a lot of times... That is the same thing that we're doing with the rule of cool is we establish trust with the reader early on and, and then and then we can get away with a lot of stuff. Well, mostly yeah. I was talking about how a Jackie Chan movie moves from cool fight to cool fight with linking material that mm-hmm. is less important. It depends I, on the Jackie Chan. It depends yeah. on the yeah. Jackie Chan yeah. movie. No, I, I, I Jackie Chan, Chan is a great fan. one to bring up because <laughs> for I hate most fight scenes. I think a fight scene in a movie is just a five-minute way of saying, and then Jim took the thing away because Bob was lying on the floor. Like, you don't need to take five minutes to say that unless the actual process 
reveals something important about their characters or you're so interesting to watch that I'll just watch you flip a ladder around for a while, right? And so coming up with a way to do that, most often I will just default to rule of cool because the actual mechanics of it aren't as interesting to me unless I'm going to use them to reveal character in some way. Yeah, Wes Chu said that fight scenes are a conversation, uh, which I thought was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Um, and I, in some ways, I feel like that is also what's going on with the, the realism versus rule of cool is that with realism, the conversation that we're having with the reader is look at the research that I've done. And mm-hmm. with rule of cool, the conversation we're having with the reader is look at this. Isn't this very exciting? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it can be done. I remember there was a really good fight scene in the, um, the Jack Ryan show on Amazon in the first episode and the reason it was cool is because you could watch step by step. This is how, you know, the people are attacking this army base in Afghanistan. And I can see every stage of, oh, they've made it to this point, which means that now the stakes have been raised. And it, part of it is because I understood the geography beforehand, like you were saying. And so it was all, okay, I know what's going on. And I know what it means to this character specifically. And I know how this other character is going to react to each progression of that battle. Before we move on from fight scenes, there is one good example that I wanted to mention that is is very interesting to me. Um, This is actually the Matrix films, Mm. uh, because the Matrix films are all about rule of cool in fight scenes. And one of the things they earn by doing that that I think uh, I want to highlight here is there is a fight scene in, I think, the third movie where they're not in the Matrix suddenly, and two people are having a fist fight. Um, And it is one of the most brutal and shocking fight scenes I've ever seen in a film. Granted, I know there are worse, but it was the contrast, right? Mm -hmm. The contrast of we know that we are using rule of cool in these other fight scenes. Now when we take away the powers and we have two people just beating each other bloody, um, it is way more interesting and shocking. And so that contrast is also something. We're not saying always use rule of cool. We're saying that you're allowed to. Um, and we like to in certain instances, but there are certain times where just trying to be as realistic as you can will uh, will play to your story a lot better. You know, sometimes uh, rule of cool, I say sometimes, rule of cool applies to anything to which the response of, for the reader will be, oh, that's cool. Uh, a stand up and cheer moment, a, you know, a, a big emotional beat for one of the characters and often realism is the character would have figured this out and isn't going to have been surprised. And so it's not realistic for that moment to be as emotional. And so in order to have rule of cool, in order to have that moment, I have to go back and do some things to undercut the reader's belief in the other possible versions of the story. Because... I mean, as as Dan said, I don't actually love writing fight scenes. I hate drawing fight scenes. Good grief. You have to show every limb. (laughs) It's like it depends on how far into the fight scene you are. Yeah, it's what the the cow bubble is for, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Howard, why don't you tell us about Terminal Uprising? Ah, yes. Uh, Terminal Uprising uh, by Jim C. Hines. It's the second book in the Janitors of the Post Apocalypse series. And just the phrase, janitors of the post-apocalypse, should tell you that he's focusing on cool, 
perhaps a little more than realism, but in reading these books, they're they're funny, they're they're emotional, they're upbeat, they're space opera with pirates and zombies and janitors and aliens. I loved the first one. They're yeah, they're they're wonderful. Um to my mind, Jim makes all the right calls in, you know, how much of the science fiction am I going to give you? How much of the science am I going to give you, you know, about the zombie plague, about the aliens, about whatever, uh, versus how many cool things am I going to do? So, uh, Terminal Uprising by Jim C. Hines. So let's take a different um, path here and talk about characterization. One of the things that people struggle with sometimes with fantasy is deciding how much they're going to make their characters act like real characters from the period and how much they're going to let them have modern sensibilities. Uh, This strays into dialogue as well. How often are you going to let people talk like people really talk or make them talk like people really talk? And how often are you going to Joss Whedon them and make sure that everybody's saying something that's very interesting at any given moment? How do you make this decision Um, where have you done it in your stories and where do you find the balance for your own writing? I think one thing to know going into this is that whatever choice you make, someone will tell you that you got it wrong. Um, so this is, this is one reason to, to, I think, err on your own person, the side of your own personal rule of cool. Um, if you aren't finding it interesting, whatever choice you're making, then it's, it is in fact the wrong choice. Uh, so for me, um, what I try to do is I try to remember that my readers are modern readers. And whatever it is that I write, they are going to view it through a modern lens. So there are often things that would be completely realistic that are the total opposite of the rule of cool. Like there's language that if I were writing something realistically set in the 1800s, is just uh, horrific um, and, and you know, not just unpalatable for a modern reader, but actively offensive. And so I, I don't go realistic that way. Um, there are other times when, uh, when I do go realistic and people are like, well, I don't believe anyone would ever say that. And I'm like, well, here's, that's actually a line straight from Jane Austen. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so it, it is, it is a balance and, uh, and it is, an, I think a balance that you have to fine tune for your own sensibilities. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think, and this is a broad generalization, but at least in my experience, the kinds of people who complain about whatever aspect of your historicity you've gotten wrong, typically it's because they have an ax to grind and they were going to complain anyway. Mm-hmm. I have found that for me, um, I have the big loophole in that I'm writing secondary world fantasy with a lot of my things. And people have asked me about this. They're like, your people act like people from modern or early, you know, uh, America rather than people from the 1400s or the 1200s. I'm like, well, it's not the 1200s. Um, (laughs) It is Roshar. And uh, this is the sensibilities that they have. Um, in, um, in their kingdom. And I am not really that interested in trying to create an accurate portrayal of how someone might have thought at a different time period. I am interested in creating an accurate portrayal of how someone might think in the culture that I'm creating. Um, but I tend to create cultures where the ideas I want to discuss are discussable. 
Well, and the other thing is, you know, people tend to think that that concern about human rights is a modern invention, and it's really not. Like, I mean, just on feminism, you know, Mary uh, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft's A Vindication of the Rights of Women is a book that came out in the 1700s. This is not like most of the time, as Dan said, when someone complains about it, they have an axe to grind, and and. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about this that can take us way off topic. I'm going to can of worms myself. Uh, it's wise. You know, the, the decision about, uh, you know, who, who gets the clever lines, who gets the pithy lines, do they all get to be clever and pithy? Um, for me, often because I have to have to prune so many words on my second and third pass for it to look like a comic strip, instead of a wall of text with pictures hidden under the wall of text, um, everybody has to be pithy because I have to condense every, everything mm-hmm. so that it gives that, gives that meaning. Uh, when I'm writing prose and I want it to read less like a comic strip and more like prose, uh, even if the dialogue doesn't have a punchline, uh, I will pick the moments in the dialogue that I want to stick. I pick the moments where someone is making a point, and if there were a, you know, if if C-SPAN was watching this, that's the part that would get turned into a, a meme gif. You know, that's the part that would be the sound bite. And so I will pick those moments, and that's where I refine the dialogue. And then I go back to the other dialogue and ask myself, are there syllables, words, whatever that would function as send-ups for this? Are there things that would undercut that? But mostly I can leave the other texts as is. One of the things for me, um, speaking of, of, of it hitting, um, that I look at is, is whether or not this moment of cool is going to make the reader pop out of the story in a way that will hurt the story. So... Um, one of the things that I do in all of the novels is I insert a Doctor Who cameo. And I'm very careful about when the Doctor appears on stage be, or when I re- do the plant of this is the Doctor. Because I know that f- for the readers who recognize that character, they're going to pop out of the story. And it's cool, but is that going to harm their emotional mm-hmm. moment in the scene? Um, I also tend to slide in Princess Bride references. Um and in one of the stories, I, there was a perfect setup for I Am Not Left-Handed, but it was at a point that I didn't need a laugh. And, and in the la- a laugh would be actively harmful to the scene. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a moment where I'm like, okay, my character doesn't get to do that. I, I err on the realism side rather than the rule of cool side because it's going to harm forward. Uh, there was, but in another point, I needed the laugh anyway, and I could get this line doing double duty so I, I put it, it's not, yeah. I'm not left-handed, but this word does not mean what you it think does it not means. Mean, yeah. That, that's the, the whole idea there is that you have to know the purpose of the scene at that moment and then ask yourself what works in support of that, what works against that, mm-hmm. and what is information that's neither in support or working against, but that the scene has to do for other purposes. And making those decisions, I mean, at this point, I think uh, for me and uh, and probably most of us, a lot of that is instinctive and we just go through and do it automatically. But I fall back on craft all the time with this, 
when I realize that a scene isn't firing and I look for the piece that is undercutting when it's supposed to support. All right, so I have our homework today. Our homework is for you to write out a quick pitch of two things. Uh, We want you to practice your pitches, but we want you to give a pitch of something very fantastical. The example we came up with is Star Wars. And try to write it as a very realistic pitch, a very grounded um, uh, pitch. And then we want you to take something that is very, a type of story that is generally very grounded, uh, very, you know, like a procedural or something like this, and rule of cool it and make it sound really outlandish. This is like uh, taking a cooking show and turning it into the anime Food Wars, which has all of the visual flair of a Dragon Ball Z fight scene just when they're tasting food. I love Kitchen Wars. <laughs> this, is, wars. this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragon Steel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.